T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Have we seen the last of Cam Newton? How about Minshew Mania? Is it forever gone? College basketball season is back big time, and the college football playoff rankings are out. What's right? What's wrong about the top six? It's a hump day home and home, a radio.com sports original. We are brought to you by Zip Recruiter. Check them out, ziprecruiter.com slash enter the smartest way to hire. Great show for you today on a hump day. Brian Baldinger, NFL Network, Radio.com NFL analyst, breaks down Lamar Jackson's epic performance against the Patriots. And in the 9 o'clock hour, don't miss it, one man who says he hates red zone. Blasphemy. We will hear from Jimmy Traina from Sports Illustrated, as well as real or fake beards. No, not boobs. Are men faking their beards? A writer from the Wall Street Journal explains the cottage industry that has popped up to protect our soft spots on our face. Good stuff for you, as well as Bruce Gradkowski from Pro Football Focus. I'm Dave Briggs, home in Connecticut. Ross Tucker, home in Pennsylvania. We're going to get to the start of college basketball season at MSG, which I witnessed last night. But first... This day in history, Ross Tucker, November 6, 1869. Rutgers and Princeton faced off in the first ever college football game 150 years ago today. Must be a special day for a Princeton man. It is. It's awesome. Uh, I always have mixed emotions when people bring that up because Princeton lost that day. We lost to Rutgers. So, so I got to be honest with you. If we won that game, I would mention that all the time. But we lost to Rutgers. You know what's really funny about that is Princeton is playing on Saturday against Dartmouth at Yankee Stadium to commemorate the 150 years. Princeton and Dartmouth both happen to be undefeated. Princeton, in fact, has won 17 games in a row, which is insane. We won 16 games my four years at Old Nassau there. Uh, But what's really funny about it, Dave? Yeah. Rutgers wouldn't do it. Princeton wanted to play Rutgers this year to commemorate the 150 years. Rutgers wouldn't do it. And you know what? I don't blame them because last year, Princeton might have beaten Rutgers. I'm not kidding. (laughs) Princeton was awesome last year. Rutgers was heinous and Princeton might've beaten them last year. And I don't know what would happen this year. I'd like to think Rutgers would still win. They are a power five FBS program with 85 full scholarships. Princeton has zero, but Rutgers did not want to play Princeton. I think that they looked at it like no real upside, but potentially a disastrous downside. Come on, Rutgers is chicken. Rutgers is scared of the mighty Princeton Tigers. Is that right? Are you calling out Rutgers for dodging Princeton? Without question. 
Yes, oh. I am. I am calling out Rutgers University. Yeah, and by the way, I mean, is there a worse named university in the country? Because here's the deal, right? New Jersey is loaded with high school football talent. People in New Jersey love New Jersey. But you don't even know that Rutgers is in New Jersey. I mean, like, there's there's no, like, oh, the Rutgers. Like, there, it's not like Colorado University, Penn State University, Alabama. Like, is there any other state that you can think of, Dave, that the state university is named after, like, some dude or whoever Rutgers is? I don't even know who Rutgers is. I'm assuming it's some dude. And by the way, how much money did Mr. Rutgers give, whatever year that was, for them to name it Rutgers rather than New Jersey State or whatever it could be, where there'd actually be some pride? Jersey State, you know, something, sand, foam, something. It's crazy to me. It really, it really is. I think it hurts the university tremendously. I'm looking at a map trying to find out what other states don't have their central university named after said state. Can't certainly think of any. I mean, NYU is certainly not a, a uh, sports powerhouse by any means. So I guess that one's a little different. But no, when you look, well, Illinois. How about Illinois? I mean, no, I mean, Illinois is still their best, best program. Um, God, Indiana, Notre Dame's their best program. But Indiana, no, I, I don't know that I can think of one other state that has it, but maybe it's they're afraid of. When you think of New Jersey across the country, it conjures up a less than pleasant image. It's kind of like a Sopranos, uh, Newark, New Jersey type of imagery. So maybe they didn't want that to be the first thing you think of. And maybe Rutgers is a bit more pleasant of an image. I'm just surprised you don't hear more about 150 years of college football. They've not done a great job of promoting that. The NFL 100 has been out there. We've been hearing about it for years now. Well, so I think maybe just because I went to – I'm inundated with it. I mean, I, I, I huh. see on TV every game that they have at least one moment about 150 years like – I. I'm probably the wrong person to ask. I mean, if you feel mm. that way, then you're you're more the regular guy. I mean, every game we do on CBS, we come back with images of a game from years ago to celebrate 150 years. Every college game I watch, I, they, they mention it and reference it at some point. Princeton's obviously doing a lot with it. So um, I'm inundated with it, but that is interesting that you've noticed the NFL 100 a lot more than the college football 150. What I think is weird about that, Dave, what are the odds that the 100th year of, uh, I'm laughing because I got a tweet about this, but the 100th year of the NFL <laughs> is the 150th year of college football. You know what I mean? Like two momentous occasions yeah. same year. And I put that on Twitter and some guy tweeted me and said, I saw this coming 50 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Clever, clever stuff. Well, we start with the start of college basketball season, which really was last night. And I would say right now, the best start to any sports season right now has to be college basketball, given what we saw last night at Madison Square Garden. How many other sports, pro or college, could start with number one versus number two, number three versus number four? 
teams that aren't afraid to take on the very best. Now, granted, college basketball is different. You can obviously lose a couple of games early, will not hurt you at all, all about how you perform in March. But what a great thing college basketball has done to try to combat the massive attention on the NFL by starting with the championship champions classic at MSG top four teams in the country and true historical programs, not just highly ranked teams, but you've got Kentucky and Michigan state Duke and Kansas. I was there for that. That's why I'm sporting a coach K one K t-shirt as in commemorating his 1000th win, which he got at Madison Square Garden a few years back, was there with my son, which one of the great traditions in my family is Duke basketball. My dad went to Duke. He passed on that love to me. I passed it on to my son. We have been to three Duke games at MSG, one of the pleasures of living near New York City. Here's my son, Will, looking up at the facade at Madison Square Garden. What a special place. Don't think it's the mecca of basketball that that the Knicks fans would like you to believe, but it is still a very special place. The atmosphere was outstanding last night, and that's despite the fact that the play was really, I would call it subpar. And here's the kicker. There was a Jumbotron sighting. Oh, yeah, and a friend of mine happened to be rolling on the Jumbotron when my son, Will, and I were cheering on the Blue Devils and trying to fire up that crowd. I think we have that video. If you're watching on radio.com app, that's me and my son, Will, cheering on the Blue Devils to a win over Kansas in their opening game. Again, the play by all four of those top four teams, pretty subpar. Three of the top, uh, those three of the four teams shot below 40%. A lot of turnovers. Kansas turned it over 28 times. And most of the fans that were there in the arena last night that I talked with, even the diehard Duke fans didn't know the roster because it's a roster that constantly turns over now in college basketball, in particular at Duke that has become Kentucky. One and done players, they're there. One minute, they're gone the next. And of course, the big question for Duke is how do you replace Zion Williamson? How does the sport of college basketball replace Zion Williamson? And the answer is, quite frankly, they don't. He is a once-in-a-generational entertaining player. But there were some standout performances last night. I'll mention Cassius Stanley. He's the freshman for Duke. Helped lead them to the win over Kansas. He was the best player on the court for Duke. Uh, and on the other side for Kansas, the seven foot, 270 pound Nigerian center, Azabuki, he is a load, but just eight points for Kansas. And then on the other game, it was Kentucky taking out Michigan State, the rare team in college basketball that is led by a senior, Cassius Winston. I think the favorite for the player of the year, but he might be all they have. He was the only one that showed up for Sparty last night and Kentucky takes them out behind a freshman. And here's what's interesting about college hoops. The best player on that court last night at Madison Square Garden came off the bench because you just don't know who these guys are yet. You don't know who the teams are yet. You don't know who's going to be your star. And Tyrese Maxey came off the bench for Kentucky with 26 points to lead all scores in the Champions Classic night number one in college basketball. Just a unique situation in college basketball, Ross. I don't know if it's positive or negative that the stars now 
are really the programs, the history, the belief, the camaraderie you have in what might be your school, your dad's school, your wife's school, and the coaches. I mean, those four schools, the biggest star is the coach on all those teams. I mean, that's what makes college basketball. Again, I don't know if this is good or bad. I, I just think that's what we have now with the one-and-done culture. Coaches and programs are the star. Do you think that's negative for the game? Well, so I feel like the coaches have kind of always been the stars to some level and that this has just been magnified. I mean, it felt like even growing up, Dave, you'd watch – on a ESPN on a big, big Monday, you'd watch that seven o'clock Big East game and Dick Vitale would be talking about John Thompson and Louis Carnesecca and Jim Beheim, baby. You know what I mean? Right. Like he, he always kind of made the coaches the stars, I guess, on some level. But you're right in the sense that the guys I knew for Duke last year, Zion Williamson, bye bye. Cam Reddish, bye-bye. R.J. Barrett, aloha, goodbye. I mean, they're all gone. Uh, I don't know how that can be a positive. I really don't. Uh, I do think, ultimately, people are cheering for their school, their program, the history, the tradition. But I, I think it'd be a, a reach to try to, for anyone to try to argue that that's somehow a positive, that the faces – and names of the players are new each year, that's difficult because, like, I would want Dave, your son, Will, like, I, I would want him to, you know, be able to really like these players. And then, you know, next year be like, oh, let's go, RJ, let's go, Zion, you know, like, these are my guys. Those days are long gone. I don't see how it can be a positive. I do like now that, uh, I don't know when that starts, but that college, uh, high school basketball players will be able to go back right to the NBA again. I think that will allow guys to actually stay in college longer. The ones that go to college and become stars over a couple of years, as opposed to, you know, your five, 10, 15 best players that'll go right to the NBA. I think that'll ultimately be a positive for college basketball, but you know, I could be wrong. You're also not getting a chance to see, you know, the, the five, 10 best players play, for these blue blood schools. Yeah, I grew up watching Duke teams with Bobby Hurley and Grant Hill and Christian Leitner and guys that stayed several years and a lot of them four years. And let's not forget Tim Duncan, one of the all time greats, stayed four years. Just think about that in retrospect. But when, when you look at those four teams, the stars are who? Coach K, Bill Self, Tom Izzo, and Coach Cal. The final four, the four horsemen, the uh, Mount Rushmore of coaches. I think what college basketball needs to do is at least take a page from college football. Now, you'll never replicate the history of the Heisman Trophy, but if you could somehow promote the player of the year race a little bit better, get it started early the way that college football does with the preseason Heisman hope and the Heisman watch each and every uh, week kind of updated in that horse race. Maybe if you could give a bigger feel to the player of the year uh, and just kind of amp up that, uh, you know, the, the importance of winning that award, perhaps that would help elevate some of those freshman players that are going to be gone next year. But I got to tell you, regardless of who the stars were, that place was electric last night. Madison Square Garden was lit up. 
Now, granted, it was probably 70, 30 Duke fans, so I probably enjoyed that more than most. Let's go Devils chants throughout the sold-out house. But just so much passion, so much connection with your school. Um, you know, it, it, it's amazing that it hasn't hurt college basketball more that the one-and-done uh, phenomenon is just now here to stay. Still still a, a really special thing. Do you think any other sports could emulate college basketball in terms of start to their season with that one versus two, three versus four feel, or is that just impossible to do in other sports? Well, it's hard to do in other sports in the sense that, you know, especially like college football comes to mind. I mean, I see these these announcements where it's like they've agreed to a home and home with Ole Miss in 2032 and 2033. I mean, they schedule way far out in college football. So I think it would be difficult unless you do more of these week zero games like we had this year where, who was it, Miami maybe, um, that started a week earlier. Miami and Florida started a week earlier than everybody else. That is a possibility because schools don't already have a week zero scheduled. They do try to, in week one, have some good matchups. There's always the one in Dallas. There's always like the Chick-fil-A one or whatever. They do try to have some good game. That wouldn't be one, two, three, four necessarily, but they try to have make sure there's at least a couple of you know marquee matchups that first week, which I think is good. Uh, but I don't think they'd be able to do it quite like college hoops. I think it's interesting to hear you say that, Dave, that it was still electric last night. Oh. Because doesn't that, on some level, hurt the pay-for-play argument for college athletes? Like, the fact that they all lost all their best players from last year, and we don't even know the players this year, yet MSG, Madison Square Garden's packed, and people are going crazy. It's nationally tele national telev television. It's, isn't it on some level the program, the brand, I guess you could argue the coaches to some extent, isn't that what really is driving the revenue more than the players themselves? Yeah, that you know, that's a very interesting discussion as we move forward. If, in fact, the California's Fair Pay to Play Act goes national, how will it impact college basketball versus college football, where, again, you do have stars that are going to be projected to make a lot of money? Maybe it helps college basketball because may, depending on how much money these guys are allowed to earn moving forward, Maybe some guys have some more motivation to stick around college and less of an incentive to make that jump right away to the NBA unless they're a projected top 10 or 15 pick. Again, so many questions about the uh, regulations the NCAA will instill on how much these guys can make. If you can make, I don't know, let's just throw out a number. If a guy can make two or $300,000 over the course of a year or two in college basketball, Will that be enough incentive for him to stick around college basketball? Man, they have got such a massive task on their hands, the NCAA, in terms of regulating this, keeping it from destroying the recruiting trail, but yet maybe incentivizing some of the college basketball stars to, to stick around the game. Boy, a huge task ahead for college basketball, but a lot of energy 
for the start of college basketball season. A couple more good games the rest of the week. Love the way that season got underway. You know, we might have to hire someone, Dave, to be in charge of how to handle this NCAA pay-for-play thing because it's going to be very complicated. You know where they can do that? Zip Recruiter. We know hiring's a challenge. Codable co-founder Gretchen Hebner discovered that. She needed to hire a game artist for her education tech company. She knew it wouldn't be easy to find someone to grow with her team. That's why she went to ZipRecruiter. They don't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. It's technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job so you get qualified candidates fast. Gretchen posted her job on ZipRecruiter, said she was impressed with how quickly she found qualified applicants. She also used ZipRecruiter's screening questions to filter her candidates so she could focus on the best ones. That's how Gretchen found a new game artist in less than two weeks. With results like that, no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R. ZipRecruiter.com slash enter ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Man, we've hired as NFL analyst here. He also works at NFL Network. Brian Baldinger joins us in just a few. He'll talk about some of the intriguing matchups this weekend. You got to be drooling for Seahawks, Niners Monday night. Also Vikings and Cowboys, a very intriguing NFL game. But first, let's talk about one of the complete opposite end of the spectrum. And it's almost as interesting because of that. The New York Giants, the New York Jets, they meet on Sunday with a combined three wins and 14 losses. And that's an interesting game because New York fans, boy, you, you got to empathize with what they're going through right now and how they are connected. So Sam Darnold gets picked by the Jets. Giants fans are just beside themselves for passing on Sam Darnold. Then the New York Giants draft Danny Dimes, who performs in the preseason, and suddenly everyone the salvation is here. Both teams are feeling very good about themselves. And here we are as they meet two and seven, one and seven. Have a caller from WFAN in New York City that uh, discussed what, what they think this weekend's game ought to be between the two bottom-dwelling New York teams. Let's go to uh, Johnny in West Babylon. What's up, Johnny? Hey, what's going on, boys? Hey, man. All right, Johnny, what's happening? Uh, not much. Hey, listen here. So what do we do? Uh, the Giants versus Jets coming up this week. We do uh, a loser gets the coach fired match, like a WWE. Oh, situation. I love that, man. Huh? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Like a couple barbed wire baseball bats out there, a couple steel chairs. Yeah, steel oh, cage match. Yeah, one of those. They, there are such things now. Now I um, I pay attention to wrestling here and there, but I know Al's a big wrestling guy. Al, there are those matches, right, where you loser leave town. Yeah, loser leave town. Yeah. Loser retires. Yeah, that was big in the '80s. Oh man, they got to do it. That would really. And then you flex this game to Sunday night, and then every, I mean every play matters. You know, you think about loser has to leave town. Pat Shermer has to retire on the spot. 
has to resign. Be like they do on the Bachelor, Bachelor, Bachelorette. Like both of the coaches have their bags packed and ready to go. I absolutely love it. Sometimes fans should be the commissioner of the NFL. Loser leaves town between the Jets and Giants. What do you make of that suggestion? And who would you rather be right now? Giants or the Jets? Taking all things into account from the top to the bottom. Wow, man. So first of all, uh, that game is going to be hilarious. I mean, just absolutely hilarious. There's usually like so much hype and excitement about that when the Giants and Jets play whatever it is every four years in a regular season game. And it's just, it, it's, I mean, it's kind of crazy that they're playing this year and it happens to be the year when they're both awful. That's number one. Uh, number two, I think I'd rather be the Giants. Uh, I, I like what I've seen from Daniel Jones. I love Saquon. You know, those are some young – Dexter Lawrence is a good young pick player guy that they drafted. I just feel like, you know, the Giants have made some nice picks the last couple of years at least. Whereas for the Jets, I think they both might end up getting new coaches. The Jets just seem like a mess. I mean, to go back to it, Dave, think about this for a second, okay? I think that the new GM – Try to, try to think this through, all right? I think that the new GM of the Jets should fire the head coach of the Jets who hired the current GM after he got the former GM who hired him fired after he fired the former head coach. You follow me there? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Trying to keep up on all that. Yeah, yeah. So look. McCag okay, this is crazy. McCagnin hired Adam Gase. Adam Gase got McCagnin fired. <laughs> Adam Gase got Joe Douglas hired. Joe Douglas should fire Adam Gase. I mean, this is like you can't make this up. <laughs> this is this is like a love triangle. This is like a soap opera. You know, it's just hilarious. Like if Mike McCagnin had just let Matt rule from Baylor, bring in his own coaching staff, Mike McCagnin would still be the GM of the Jets. But he said he was trying to say Matt Rule had to hire a certain defensive coordinator, Greg Williams. Matt Rule's like, yeah, I don't think so. So they go with Adam Gase. Adam Gase goes, oh, yeah, y'all hire Greg Williams, no problem. Gase gets the job, goes behind Matt Cagnin's back and gets him fired. Then he hires Joe Douglas. He's probably going to be like, ah, Gase, they all hate you. You're terrible. Uh, we're going to get rid of you now. I mean, it's just, you can't, like, the Giants have made some poor decisions. The Jets are a disgrace. The, Jet, the Jets are just an absolute mess. Yeah, I, I think I, too, would rather be the Giants. I like more what I see in Jones, and certainly looks like you have a Hall of Famer and Saquon Barkley. Never been a believer in Adam Gase, even when he was the offensive coordinator of the Denver Broncos and got so much of that credit for that run. I think it was Peyton Manning who was the offensive coordinator. Uh, from WFAN to WIP in Philadelphia, another Radio.com affiliate you can always listen to on the free Radio.com app if you don't live in the Philly area or if you don't live in the New York area, you can catch WFAN. On WIP in Philly this morning was a man you might know. 
His name is Ross Tucker. And a caller called in after him to take issue with uh, with Howie Roseman, Deshaun Jackson, how the team uh, might build moving forward, and something Ross Tucker brought up. Listen. Good morning, Angelo. Always a pleasure. Mike, what are you feeling about I have, say, yeah. I have to say that I'm, I'm beyond overly annoyed at Howie Roseman. And it's a disgrace in head of Ross Tucker in and be a company guy like that. <laughs> Howie Roseman. Uh-oh. Angelo, how can you how can you take a guy who's 32 years old, make him the focal point of your offense, and have nothing to back him up? Nothing. And when he went down, you saw how lost this team was. Yes. They were completely lost. They didn't have any identity. Um, and, and I don't know why what he was doing by only drafting that one receiver. And obviously, he's too damn slow for the NFL. Mike, here's the thing. If Howie did this job, if he came in every day and talked to the fans for four hours, right. he would know that he needs to speak. That all fans are going to do is make the most rash assumptions. He's quit on his team. He doesn't like he, he All he wants to do is worry about the next draft. He's basically checked out on 19. Ross Tucker, your response, company man. Yeah, they were killing me. It's so funny because... Because I said, because I wasn't saying that Howie Roseman needs to talk to the media today, they were saying I'm a company guy because I do the Eagles preseason games. Let me just tell you, for the record, I got a lot of jobs. I, I enjoy doing the Eagles preseason games, but but they're about to cut down the preseason from four games to two. I do like over 20 games a year. I've got all these shows. I've got a podcast network available on the radio.com app. Like I don't need to be a company man. Like I'm not, I'm not getting that much money from the Eagles. I, what they don't like is that I'm objective and I say the truth, which is that Howie Roseman isn't going to have a press conference about not making a move for a guy at the trade deadline until first of all, they make some transaction to try to replace Deshaun Jackson, whether that's Jordan Matthews or Mike Wallace or whatever. And secondly, exactly zero NFL general managers spoke in the last week to discuss why they didn't trade for Robbie Anderson from the Jets or Le'Veon Bell or Chris Harris from the Broncos. I mean, there were a lot of guys available for trade. There was a lot of teams that were involved in those conversations. Exactly no GMs have had press conferences to announce why they didn't make a trade. So I get it. That's Philly. I'm yeah. from there. They, they, they want their pound of flesh right now. They're mad that Deshaun Jackson's having surgery. I get it. And so because I wasn't just agreeing with them, they're they're saying I'm uh, my objectivity has been compromised. I think it's the exact opposite. I think I'm actually the only one being objective. They're just looking for their pound of flesh. So you have a GM stand up there and you say – why didn't you get a trade? Well, because it was it was too much. What they were asking was too much, and we thought Deshaun would play. I mean, okay, are you happy now? That, to me, is just stupid. It is surprising that both Howie Roseman and Bill Belichick, two of the best personnel guys, the two arguably best personnel guys in the NFL, came into this season shorthanded at the wide receiver position. Very surprising, and it looks like it is going to be central to where those two teams' limitations are. At least the Eagles, though, have an outstanding group of tight ends that uh, clearly Carson Wentz will have to lean on. 
Ross Tucker, company man. Coming up next, Brian Baldinger from the NFL Network, Radio.com NFL analyst, tells us, is Lamar Jackson the MVP as we start the second half of the NFL season? And he's going to weigh in on the beard trend across this country, well represented here on Home and Home when we come back after a quick break. Is Cam Newton cooked? Will Minshew Mania be back? How did the Ravens stop the Patriots? So much to get to week nine as we approach week 10 of the NFL season. Let's talk about it with Brian Baldinger, NFL Network, radio.com NFL analyst. Baldy, good to see you. It's Dave Briggs. It's company man, Ross Tucker. I want to <laughs> get to all those topics, but first I got to ask you about something we're going to discuss in the nine o'clock hour, which is the lengths to which men are going to bolster their beards, their their facial hair. They are faking it. I did a Google search for you and looked forever for your beard. Have you ever grown a beard? Why or why not? Any cat out there right now, Dave, could lick whatever I grow. I mean, it's just, uh, it's bad whiskers. <laughs> it's not happening. I have tried. Um, I gave up a long, long time ago. I'm too old for it now. Uh, every once in a while, I take a razor and uh, just sort of scrub it all off. But it's just not growing on this face. Um, you know, um, this, these Germans, you know, they just don't have a lot of hair on the body, man. It's kind of hard to grow it on, on these things. So, anyways, <laughs> you can look and look and look. You're not going to find I, anything that remotely re- resembles anything that you two are wearing this morning. I couldn't <laughs> find a whisker. <laughs> not no, a single whisker, no. Ross. It's horrible. It's horrible. <laughs> More importantly, Baldy, whose beard do you like better, me or Dave's? Dave's is like always very manicured. I haven't done anything to mine in like two weeks. Which which one do you like better? I think Dave has a lot of maintenance going on with that beard, man. I mean, if maintenance <laughs> is a big deal, then I think Dave wins the award right there, Ross. I agree. I agree. Dave's on TV every day. I, the only time I touch it up is Saturday before a college football game. It's about it. Uh, speaking of facial hair, Baldy, the Jags are going back to Nick Foles. I guess it's a two-part question. One is, is that the right decision? And the other thing is, speaking of the facial hair and Gardner Minshew, do you think he's a starting quarterback in the NFL? Yeah, I do. And, you know, I just, you know, I watched him last week in London against uh, Houston. Nobody on the team was very good. Um, I saw DJ Chark drop passes and I saw Chris Conley drop passes and you know I mean obviously three points is you know a disappointing uh score and to fall to four and five and really be slipping in the race I mean it's going to fall on the quarterback but you know you ask him to drop back 50 times and really none of the turnovers happened until the final seven minutes of the game Ross when it was 19 to three and then eventually 26 to three and you know kind of got away from him but I mean I just still see him making a lot of plays uh, he did miss some. There's no question about it. Uh, he was under duress. I think Romeo Cornell threw the book at him, really kind of tested uh, his savvy and pocket presence because he does get a little frenetic at times. But I do think he has the ability to be a starter because I do think he's innately accurate. I don't think accuracy is something that can vastly be improved, but he is accurate. And he does have the ability to extend plays and move. And he's a tough guy. So I do think he – I don't think we're going to see the end of the mustache in Minshew mania. 
but that's time right now, I guess, you know, Doug Monroe made the decision. Let's go to Nick. He's healthy. Let's see if we give him a spark because that's what they need right now. They're slipping in the AFC South. The Texans and Colts are out in front, and they get a big matchup against those two, uh, against a couple of South teams in Indianapolis and Tennessee, and they got to win to stay in the race right now. And they've got 50 million reasons to start Nick Foles. You, you give a guy that contract, you've got to see what you have in Nick Foles, especially given how that game ended for Jacksonville. Uh, picks and consecutive passes there in the fourth quarter. Also, the, it seems like the entire media is writing off the career of Cam Newton. He will turn 31 next year. He's going on the IR. He's cooked for this season. Kyle Allen's done a terrific job in replacing him, uh, going 5-1. and one. But who is Cam moving forward? Again, 31 next year, two shoulder surgeries, the Liz Franck injury this season. Are you writing off Cam's career? Is it his future with Carolina or someplace else? Well, those, those questions really can't be answered right now, Dave. I mean, uh, Cam Newton has been the league MVP. He's taken his team to a Super Bowl. I like Cam Newton, but Cam's only going to be a valuable asset if he's healthy. And he hasn't been healthy since probably when they were six and two a year ago, right around this time. And so uh, he's just, you know, because of the way that he plays the game, and the fact that, you know, the running is a part of his game, the physicality is a part of his game, being bigger than every linebacker in the league is part of his game. Uh, he has to be healthy in order to showcase his skills. And so I believe if he's healthy, he can certainly still be a starter. But I don't know right now if Carolina is going to maintain the investment uh, in Cam Newton um, until he gets healthy and until he sees what he can do. I mean, right now they're riding Kyle Allen. I think they want to ride Kyle Allen. Um, he's, what is he, 5-1, and 6-1 and one as a starter? And so he got past that the debacle that the whole team had in San Francisco two weeks ago. And, you know, Christian McCaffrey's the MVP of that team right now. But I think they got to wait and see in how healthy can he get and can he remain, uh, maintain that health. He, he's, we saw what he was like to start the season. We saw what he was like at the end of last season when he wasn't healthy. And he wasn't good, and he's not a frontline starter if that's as good as he can be health-wise. But I think all those questions can get answered until we see what he's like after these, this, you know, this next round of uh, rehabilitation that he's got to go through. Baldy, you mentioned his name. I'm going to ask you the same question about Kyle Allen that I asked you about Gardner Minshew. I mean, I, I know it's still a somewhat small sample size, but have you seen enough from Kyle Allen to believe that he is and will be next year a starting quarterback in the NFL? Well, I mean, in the small sample, I think so. Uh, but, you know, these guys have to do it over a period of time, right, Ross? So uh, we've seen a lot of guys jump out to, you know, start fast starts in their first season or second season, and then they fade. But, I mean, he knows how to find the open receiver. He's got the arm strength to get it there. Um, the offense is pretty good offense right now. I mean, they got a rookie left tackle and they're playing and battling like crazy. Uh, but you know, I mean, the guy doesn't really flinch, uh, very much and he doesn't make a lot of mistakes. I know he did against San Francisco, but there was some miscommunication with some receivers, I believe on some of those interceptions. Um, he ran into a hornet's nest, you know, the only undefeated team in the league, but he bounced back last week. I was impressed by that. And I've been impressed by what I've seen, to be honest with you, Ross. And so can he be a starter? I know he doesn't have a great college resume, 
But he looks awfully poised in there for a guy that has played as little as he's played. And he, the ball comes out of his hands hot. And, you know, the offense right now moves with him at quarterback. And they're going to ride him here and see if they can get back in the race and stay in the race in a very difficult NFC. And if he does that over the next seven games or so, I think he could end up being the starting quarterback in Carolina. I can see Ron Rivera. He won a Super Bowl with, uh, you know, with a guy named McMahon. And he didn't have great stats, but he was a great leader and got the job done. So I think that's his reference point on what a quarterback's supposed to do. Be a good point guard. Be a good leader. And, um, you know, do, do his job. And so far, I think he's done that, Ross. In what we just discussed, and we're talking to Brian Baldinger, NFL Network, Radio.com NFL analyst, regarding Cam Newton and his career potentially, at least, being over at age 30, should Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens see a direct correlation? Should they see a guy they're going to have to find a way to protect to lengthen his career, or should they just ride this hot hand as, as far as he will take them? He is taking a beating. He will shatter the quarterback carry uh, record. Um, do you see a guy that is clearly the MVP, or at least in the discussion, but can't do this very long? Well, I gave up on trying to um, correct Lamar Jackson and when to get out of bounds, when to get down. I mean, it, it, he's not doing it. He's competing out there, and, you know, if the body holds up, it holds up. And if it doesn't, they got two other guys that kind of do have the same skill set as Lamar. They're going to go in there and do it. And that's what they're doing right now. But in these scrambles, you know, I mean, the, the Patriots had a good game plan. But there really is no defense for Lamar Jackson. And the Patriots game on Sunday night proved it. And really, his scrambles and the plays that he creates off on his own, based on his own vision and his own feel for the game is probably the best way to go about it because on those scrambles he rarely gets hit usually ends up out of bounds because whether he's changing direction in the field or he's just buying time the defense really the holes and how they're trying to squeeze him just go away and he ends up running out of bounds untouched and that's probably the best way to run him is just off scrambles and let the defense just sort of uh, expanded to their zones or have their uh, spy on them, whatever they're trying to do. I mean, Seattle and New England had good game plans for them, and the scrambles, they, they had no answer for. And so when you see him down the goal line at the end of the game on, you know, running for eight yards down to the goal line, I mean, he's putting his head down, he's going for it. And that's you're not going to take that out of him. And I, I'm done criticizing him for it or trying to say, look, I've seen RG3, I've seen Mike Thick, I've seen all the other guys. Steve Young, I've seen all these guys do it. And, you know, they ended up really beat up, Cam Newton. Um, and so, look, he, the, the beating is the beating, but it doesn't, he doesn't look like he's hurt ever. He never looks like he's tired. He looks like Michael Jordan out there. He's like he can play eight quarters a Sunday. So that's what they're riding right now, Dave. And I think, I think that's the right thing to do. I mean, he's been the best player on the field at Seattle. Uh, best player on the field Sunday night against New England. Uh, and I think he's going to be, be the best player on the field almost every single Sunday for the rest of the season right now. You know, Baldy, I, I know you love the Niners. I love the Niners. I love everything they got going on right now. They might get Staley, McGlinchey, and Juszczyk back this week. I guess my question is, 
how do you think something like this seemingly comes out of nowhere? You know what I mean? Like nobody had the Niners as Super Bowl favorites. Nobody thought the Niners would be the last undefeated team. How do you explain a team like this with all of the time we spend analyzing the NFL seemingly coming from nowhere to be this good? Well, you know, I think there's a couple things, Ross. Uh, one, John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan have been building this roster for three years. So, you know, they have a bunch of number one picks on the defensive line. Eric Armstead and DeForest Buckner and Solomon Thomas and now Nick Boza, I think, has changed the whole culture on defense. Um, they had two interceptions all of last year, Ross. They've got 10 right now. Uh, they're taking the ball away. In, so, I mean, the takeaway thing is is real. I would say the other part is just coaching. I mean, I think Mike McDaniels, the run game coordinator for the 49ers, is the smartest coach in football. He's been with Kyle every step of the way, Houston and Washington and Cleveland and Atlanta. Um, the Atlanta offense has never looked the same since Kyle Shanahan and Mike McDaniels left. Uh, I think they scheme the run game better than anybody else in the league. Uh, I don't think it ever really is finished evolving. I think it just continues and continues and continues based on what defenses do. So I think that's a part of it. I think, you know, this latest move to go get Emmanuel Sanders was really necessary and paying immediate dividends. Uh, but, you know, when you could put uh, Daniel Brunskill and uh, you could put, uh, you know, the left tackle in there right now and you really don't see any drop off. I mean, that's really good coaching and good schematics. And then they paid Jimmy Garoppolo to be a frontline starter and he certainly looked like that in their last game. And so I think it's a perfect storm. All those things coming together right now, Ross. Now, they, the meat of the schedule comes up. They're going to see a lot of really good teams in the second half of the season. And we'll see. You know, do they play 6-2 and two football? Do they play 4-4 four and four football? Does this thing kind of come back to earth? Or does it just continue? I mean, we're going to get a really good test here uh, with the schedule they have coming up. Yeah, can't wait for that Monday night game. Niners-Seahawks going to be outstanding. Um, one of the great things that, that we always talk about in the NFL is that you just one week you can completely forget everything you learned the prior week. So with that in mind, how do you explain a Green Bay Packers team that seemed like, felt like, looked like a Super Bowl contender going to the Chargers, 60 total yards through three quarters, 139 total yards how do you explain that you've seen the tape well you can't really look at the numbers because the numbers are what they are because they they couldn't convert a third down to start the game and so when melvin ingram and joey boza are out there and they're beating their offensive line on the right side and on the left side and on third and eight and third and ten they're punting the ball because of sacks and you just keep giving the ball back to Phillip Rivers, who with a new offensive coordinator, new design, is hanging on to the ball. And you just play a game of keep away. The game goes from three to nothing to six to nothing to 12 to nothing to 19 to nothing pretty quickly. And then you're just in catch up mode. But if you really look at this Green Bay offense, what is the offense? The offense is basically Aaron Rodgers dropping back, taking a look. If there's something there right away, he throws it. And if it isn't, then he just sort of kind of bops around back there, waiting for something to break. And that hit right there, Joey Bow's on him. He's taking way too many hits. And I think long-term, it's not a good answer. 
Now, you could say, okay, well, what is the offense? I mean, I don't see a whole lot of difference in this offense versus anything Mike McCarthy had out there. There's differences in some personnel groupings where they get an advantage, especially down the red zone. But, you know, if you look at Aaron Jones running for four touchdowns against Dallas, I mean, that's probably not going to happen another time this year. That that sort of makes your red zone offense look a lot better. But I think the way you explain it is the Chargers just stopped them on third downs to start the game. Phillip Rivers played keep away, and the game just sort of got away from him. And it is a week-to-week league. That probably won't happen again this year. But I don't think the offense is overly difficult to stop. I mean, it's send five guys out there, see who wins the one-on-one, and let Aaron Rodgers, you know, he can play the game some Sundays in a tuxedo. Let him bop around back there and find the open guy and just use his golden right arm to flick it to him. But I don't think that's a great offense as you get ready for the postseason. Baldy, uh, when you look at Chicago, you putting more of the blame for that offensive mess on Trubisky or Nagy? Well, I put it on everybody, Ross. I mean, I think they don't they, – you know, they're trying to get back to the run game. They did the week before against the Eagles. It was there. David Montgomery's a good back, but you got to give him a chance to run it. Um, I think they're grabbing at straws right now, Ross. Um you know, outside of the big play down the field of Taylor Gabriel, they couldn't get an explosive play. But I see drop passes. I see an offensive line that's undermanned uh, right now. I see a quarterback that looks pretty skittish. Um, doesn't look anything like he did at times last year. Doesn't look very confident. And I look at for, uh, as a head coach, as a guy right now that is scrambling to try to put some good plays together keep his defense off the field, which looks shattered at this point. So it's just a mix of everything right now, Ross. Like it can, you know, you can stop smoking in an instant. You can stop this awful looking football that the Bears have had the last month in an instant, but it takes everything coming together. Um, Maybe they can flip the switch and figure out some balance for everything, but I don't think they're going to get a new right guard in there. I don't think the tackles are going to get infinitely better. Um, I don't think the receivers are just going to stop dropping some key passes right now. Uh, if they do all those things together, they can probably start turning this thing around. And, you know, you got to get one win before you get two. Uh, I've seen teams look awful and then turn it around. And then I've seen some teams that can't stop the funk. And that's where the Bears are right now. So to answer your question, I think it's a little bit of just everything right now. Matt Nagy went from coach of the year. He hadn't forgotten how to coach. But the team isn't playing really well, and he's got to figure out a way as a head coach to to right the ship. That's his job right now. It's really tough, and I'm anxious to see what kind of things he tries this week. Baldy, uh, Dave asked me a question earlier uh, with the Giants and Jets playing on Sunday. Which organization do I think is in better shape? I wanted to get your thoughts. Would you rather be a, a Giants or Jets fan right now? Oof. Uh, the battle in New York is coming at a low point for both organizations, <laughs> uh, Ross. And, and look, Davey, it's the right question. I mean, everybody's, that's the question everybody's going to be asking inside that stadium on Sunday. I'd have to say the Jets are at a worse place right now because they got a new coach that was supposed to at least get the quarterback straightened out. And the quarterback is uh, has gone as far south as you can go. I remember... Ross asking Tony Romo midseason last year against the Bears what he thought 
of Sam Darnold, because I respect Tony's really insight to the position. And he thought Sam Darnold, when Tom Brady and when Drew Brees and when Aaron Rodgers eventually ever step aside, he thought Sam Darnold could carry the mantle as the best quarterback in the league. And he thought his decision-making, the talent, all that was there. And you, nobody could say that right now. Nobody. I mean, he, he looks completely broken at this point. And so, and Daniel Jones is a turnover machine. Now, I think you could correct that, but I think you have to start with the quarterbacks right now. And where is Sam Darnold? And why isn't he better? And why can't they put an offensive line together? And I'm good friends with Joe Douglas. I've known him 20 years. I believe Joe's the right guy for this job. I don't know. He's got a lot of decisions to make from the head coach to how to build this team, to how to spend their assets, um, how to stop the leaks in the building uh, on the trade deadline. I mean, there's. I would say the Jets are in a worse place if that's possible right now. Is there any organization you'd want to have less? I guess what I'm asking, are the Jets in the worst situation in the NFL? Or is there someone else who is actually in worse shape? Cincinnati comes to mind. And obviously Miami, though they clearly at least have a plan, 100 plus million in cap space, loads of picks the next couple of years. What organization is in the worst shape overall? Is it the Jets? Well, I mean, the Washington Redskins are, you know, have an offense built around a 33-year-old running back right now with an offensive line where their best player doesn't want to play, uh, doesn't want to play for the Redskins. I mean, that's a bad situation right there. Um, Cincinnati is a bad situation. I mean, they've got some talent on that team. You wouldn't know it, though, by watching them play. I don't agree with a lot of the things the Dolphins have done. I don't know why anybody would trade Laramie Tunsil out of the building. I, I, I'll never, ever agree with that decision. I don't care what they got for him. Uh, you're not going to find Laramie Tunsil in many drafts. So I don't agree with – so I think there's a lot of teams in competition for the Jets. But to say that the Jets are in the worst situation right now, organization-wise, you're, you're not going to – you're not going to get an argument from me on that. Uh, I can't. I can't say anybody's worse than them. Although those uh, uh, those teams I just mentioned are in the same club. Um, if you're looking to say, you know, which one is the worst? I mean, that roll call is. You could throw any of those teams up there, and uh, any of those would be the right thing. But yeah, to say the Jets are the worst right now, you can't say anybody's worse than them right now. Wow. Quite a discussion. I, I like this. I like talking about the bottom feeders in the NFL. Jets fans must love this conversation. Brian Baldinger, we I hate it, the Dave. time. I hate it myself. I hate <laughs> Do you? I've been on, listen, you know why I hate it, Dave? Like, I no. think Ross can understand this. I played on a 1-15 team in Indianapolis. And I remember, oh. Ross, I remember, you know, when you're 1-15, you're just trying to be a leader, do what you can, right? So I remember I used to have extra offensive line meetings on Saturday. And we go through every protection, you know, every check. And I just, you know, we had a bunch of guys in there that were, you know, half asleep from partying the night before. But, I mean, I was trying to do my part. And at some point, usually before the, the first quarter ended, the wheels would start to come off. And you just like, oh, we, we, just, we, we beat the Jets. That was our only win. We beat the Jets that year. I mean, it was, you know, I mean, it was a 1 of 15. And I've been there. And I know how awful it is for a guy that's just trying to be a pro and just trying to uh, do everything right to try to, you know, give us ourselves a chance to win. And one of 15 is one of those years where you go, I hope nobody has to ever go through that ever. 
because it's not fair to a lot of people that tried really, really hard that year to do the right things. And I know there's a lot of guys in Cincinnati and Miami and in Washington and in New York trying to do the right things in the front office, the coaching staff, and the players, and they're just not getting any results. You know, Baldy, uh, I was on some bad teams, but I think they were, we were still 5-11, and 6-10. and 10. Wow. Uh, I cannot imagine 1-15 and 15 or 0-16. Oh and 16. And, you know, nobody feels bad for you, and you can appreciate this, but people don't – like, people look at me like I'm crazy when I tell them that when you're on a losing team, late in the year especially, but when you're losing, it's not really a fun job. It, it's uh, – because of how high pressure it is and because that usually leads to a lot of people getting fired, coaching staff and stuff, it's a really, it's a really bad environment when, you know, you're losing like that. I know my first three years, Baldy, the head coach got fired at the end of the year and I was, I was with three different teams, but the head coach, I was the original coach killer. The coach got fired (laughs) at the end of those years. And like, I'm telling you, man, November and definitely December, people don't even look at each other in the hallway. They don't say hi. I mean, it's a bad, it's a bad deal, man. And, and people, I try to explain that to them. They're like, oh, you get paid so much money to play football. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's the good part about it. But it's still not necessarily fun when you're in those kind of situations. Well, they, they usually cancel the holiday party, Ross. Um, <laughs> nobody was in, a, in that kind of a frame of mind. I mean, look. I mean, you don't want to go to the you don't want to go to the local Acme to go pick up some groceries. You don't want to be seen. <laughs> but then you don't want to call Domino's for dinner because you don't want to see that guy either. And so, like, it's it's just really, it's a. It, 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 you're right. I mean, there's nothing fun about it. And uh, when the wheels come off Sundays and you're on that bench, you can see the body language in those guys. I mean, there's just nothing exciting about any of it. And we all know what the fate are and usually is when you're in that situation come November and December. A lot of people are going to be gone. Uh, The cars are going to be packed well before the holidays begin, and everybody just wants to get out of town. So it it, it never really changes, and I don't care. The money doesn't make any difference at all to in that situation. I'm glad you guys personalized that because, yeah, you, you can laugh it off, and you don't often think of what it would be like to go out there in such a brutal game with such negative circumstances surrounding you. So that's really interesting insight from both you guys personalizing that. Baldy, still a couple of weeks left in no shave November. We would love to see a couple of whiskers on you next time. I mean, (laughs) just that patchy awesomeness would be great, Baldy. Come on, give it a shot. All right, I'll tell you what. You you let me know the next time you want me to come on home and home here, and I'll work on it. I'll give you a a solid two weeks if you give me the advance, and I'll show you. Just how bad it looks. All right. In fact, I might just bring a razor and do a Joe Namath right here on the on the podcast and just take it right off for you and show you how easy it falls off. I'm so happy. All right, deal. Brian Baldinger, NFL Network, radio.com, NFL analyst. Great stuff, my friend. We can't wait okay. to see that right, patchy, scruffy beard. All right. Thanks, Baldy. All right, we're uh, we're a little bit late. We're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, California's homeless problem, does it apply to the Los Angeles Chargers? Do they have a home? Where are they headed? And some expletive remarks from Dean Spanos on their future not being in London when we come back. 
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.